0: It's mailbag time. Last time I did one was the end of July. I like to space them out at least two or three months in between, depending on what other content can be covered. It's been two months. The season's coming. I want to know what fans are thinking about, so we'll do one more mailbag before the season starts on this Friday. Full disclosure, if you're listening, and it seems like I'm ignoring big news, I'm talking on Wednesday, the 28th, right now. I'll be traveling this weekend, so... I'm doing this a day in advance. If anything big happens Thursday, we'll, of course, cover it Monday. If not, great. Very topical. So, mailbag 10 questions from Twitter. Thank you guys so much for asking all of them. We'll cover a lot from, you know, Miles Turner outlook, O'Shea Brissett's rotation spot, uh, what assistant coaches could be head coaches in the future. Lots to talk about in these mailbag questions. Love hearing what people are curious about with this basketball team. And that is the first question from at CJ Minofu. ID came in. It's his name on Twitter. He says, pros and cons of a Miles Turner trade the most vague yet biggest question about the pacers from a zoomed out perspective right now and i've talked about it a lot on this show a lot in the last five episodes but i like to think of it from that zoomed out perspective to just kind of talk about it and tie a bow up on this until more traction comes on how Miles is playing with the pacers and what his future might look like look from the 1000 foot view of miles turner with the pacers the pros are obvious is on an expiring contract. If he's not willing to extend, the pro is, instead of potentially losing a player for nothing in free agency, the Pacers get something for him. And the secondary benefit, thank you, Derek Kramer, Mr. IPacers blog friend of the pod, for messaging me about this earlier this week, is like, they have Jalen Smith and Isaiah Jackson and Terry Taylor and O'Shea Brissett and Goga Batadze and even Daniel Tice, even though he's also important to what I'm about to say. If you trade miles, you open up minutes for other young guys. And for a team that has you know, stated that they're going on A longer term project, maybe more than a one or two year thing, getting minutes for those guys sooner has some value, right? The pros are obvious. You get you get streamlined with your team building and you get assets for trading Miles Turner. The cons are Miles Turner's not on your basketball team. (laughs) You know, he's a good player who makes other players better and makes their life easier and makes their defense easier and is a good communicator and a good leader. You lose Miles Turner. That's obviously a big con. The other con is more related to context, and that's why I wanted to start from the thousand-foot view because Trading Miles Turner now, you know, the pros are maybe his value's a little higher because the season hasn't started, but maybe it's not as high because of his injury last year. And the con is the opportunity cost of trading him later. What if his value goes up, right? What if another team has a big injury and they get desperate for a center, right? The timing sort of dictates the pros and cons of the move. You know, the zoomed out thousand foot view thing I just talked about will kind of be relevant no matter when he's traded, unless the Pacers are one of the best teams in the league. And then a con becomes that they will no longer be in that situation. But as you look into what the pros and cons are, it's timing dependent. Right before the trade deadline, yes, the cons become smaller because there's less opportunity cost. Offers can't come past that date, right? Uh, If he gets injured, that's another con. You know, there's a lot that kind of depends on timing and league context, but I think the thousand-foot view is important. And I think that opportunity cost of, you know, if you trade him now, you can't get a better offer in the future if something changes is certainly important to think about. And the timing aspect is important. You know, Scott Agnes, when I did his podcast with him sort of Referred to the Victor Oladipo situation when they brought him into the 2020 21 season for 12 games and then shipped him out to Houston in the carousel vert trade, right? That was perfect. He showed he was very good in those 12 games, better than he was the rest of the season. And it allowed the Pacers to get more for him than they could have otherwise. I don't think they could have gotten the vert for him in the offseason. So, you know, the timing element is really important, whether that's 10 games into the season, 30 games into the season, 55 right at the trade deadline. The pros and cons sort of change, but in general, the zoomed-out view stays about the same. At Maui Buckeye, Steve says, is O'Shea Braset the forgotten man already? <laughs> uh, boy, do I not know the answer to that. So uh, the reason I believe, Steve, you're asking this question, I talked about this on Thursday's podcast a little bit, is in practice, the second unit Carlisle referred to and Isaiah Jackson referred to was Benedict Matherin, TJ McConnell, Aaron Neesmith, Terry Taylor, and... Um, Isaiah Jackson so no O'Shea Brissett with that group and you can see in the videos the Pacers social media team posted of practice you know I'm I obsess over these random little things about lineups but the orange team the guys with the pennies on the third team was Andrew Nembard at the one and Kendall Brown at the three I think Langston Galloway was at the two and O'Shea Brissett was the four in that group with Goga and James Johnson at the five you know so he was in the third team we went to practice on Wednesday And O'Shea Brissett was wearing a blue jersey, meaning he was with the blue unit. Now, there were six guys in blue, so there was probably some interchanging going on. And Rick Carlisle even addressed at that practice that lineups are kind of fluid this early in camp. They're still figuring stuff out. But if it's any indication of what the lineups are on your first day, you know, that's what the perception you went in with, if that means anything. So I don't think he's forgotten, but think about the franchise's actions last year. First game of the season, Brissette doesn't play. First couple games, I believe, he did not play unless it was a blowout situation. I will double-check that before I say something wrong. But, right, that was a thing. That was something I asked Rick Carlisle about. Hey, what will it take for Brissette to play, right? Yeah. The second game he played seven minutes. Then he got three big minute games in a row. Then went back to barely playing. Three DNPs in a row and then plays for four minutes against Denver and then four DNPs in a row, right? It took a while for him to start being an everyday player last season. I think that's possible that that happens again given the early camp stuff. But Rick Carlisle did say he'll play at least a 10-man rotation. They have a lot of guys who should play. But is he forgotten already the other action to think about? They didn't give him a long-term contract this summer and they had the option to do that. So I don't know why they went the route they did. You know, a lot of other questions have sort of superseded that in media availabilities when it comes to DeAndre Ayton, Malcolm Brogdon, Miles Turner, the team entering a new era. But I would be curious the next time we get public availability from a front office member to say, hey, what went into the thinking of picking up Brissett's option, having him being an expiring and then unrestricted free agent instead of the other route. But that action certainly suggests that maybe they aren't as high on him as some are, including myself. You know, I think he's one of their top eight guys on this team, but who knows? And, and it might be too early to say all the things I just said. He could be in their rotation game one and I'll look stupid. But, you know, th- that question does certainly have some meaning given how last year started and what we learned on the first couple of days of camp. Mark Schindler, another friend of the pod, and a king, writing about the WNBA killer this year, Indy Corn Rose podcast with Caitlin Cooper. you got to listen to that stuff. Mark Schindler says, What are you most excited about in general this season? A certain player's growth, a new direction, etc. Um, one is, for my own enjoyment of fan communication and things like that, is the, the breathing of expectations. <laughs> and I know that fans like winning, and it will be painful after about 20 games. But I also think the context of every win or loss or decision being made not leading to a chorus of people saying this guy should be fired or benched and more reasonable takes about player growth and team development will be great. I think more reasonable conversations generally lead to better outcomes, better solutions, better discussion, and everybody learns something. And I'm looking forward to that selfishly. Now, from an actual Pacers basketball perspective, I'm really excited about watching Tyrese Halliburton this year, which is a lame answer because he's probably going to be the best player on the team, but I'm really high on him. You know, his stats, even if he's on low usage, are rarefied air, right? No one has ever done 15, 8, and 40% shooting in one of their first two seasons, ever. If you lower it to like 38% from three, it's six all-stars, Damon Stoudemire and Tyrese Halliburton, right? Like he he looks like a guy who projects to be an all-star and I'm curious how long that will take. If he has the ball way more, it could be this year. And if he meets the expectations that Uh, Expectations are totally the wrong word. If he meets the growth that I think is possible for him, he could get close to that all-star echelon this season, which would be fascinating. And even if the Pacers stink because their defense projects to be pretty terrible, unless Miles Turner's in the game, uh, it'll be awesome to see how he grows. And also Benedict Mather. You know, the Pacers have never had a rookie uh, in my lifetime picked that high for a lot of people listening to this. That's the case. Uh, And it'll be fascinating to see What a rookie like that can be. You know, I have this conception in my head, and I think this is mostly true anyway, even of number one picks, but rookies usually stink. And Chris Duarte at times stunk last year, but he kind of bucked that trend as a lottery pick. Ken Matherin, who got picked sixth overall, sort of show that he can be good and compliment Halliburton, and they can be the one-two of the future. You know, I have someone commenting on YouTube about how, you know, Matherin should be getting more focused than Tyrese because he is, or should be at least considered, the the future talent, uh, highest ceiling player on this team. And, yeah, that could be very true. You know, I think that Halburn's gotten a lot of more focus and attention in that front because he's already good and has played in NBA games. But we will see what that ultimately shakes out to be. And I think that's a fascinating point. So those two guys really, and in general, a fan base sort of, you know, it, look, losing will suck. I think people can be excited now. But, the, you know, after a couple of games, <laughs> it will go away. But that said, in general, I think a lack of expectations will lead to more productive conversations amongst everybody. Let's keep going i got seven more questions here i'll try to go a little faster before we get to the next batch though let me talk to you guys about betonline.net the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports and your number one source for all your football betting info this season you can find all the latest player developments odds lines news everything podcasts in-depth analysis articles all over at betonline.net they post lines for all the football games super early Colts hosting the titans this weekend three and a half point favorites that line over at betonline.net and as always bet online remains your continued source for all your sports wagering information live betting up to the minute scores for every sport out there the fastest and easiest way to check in on all your favorite games and events including mlb mma boxing and golf head over to betonline.net today or use your mobile device to learn more because BetOnline is where the game starts Thank you, as always, for making Locked on Pacers your first listen today and every single day. For your second listen, we're at Locked on Hawks. A Hawks team that traded for DeJounte Murray and has kind of tweaked their roster has sort of flown under the radar this offseason because of a lot of other big stuff has happened. But former Pacers coach Nate McMillan leading the charge there. You can hear from Brad Rowland to hear the latest on the Atlanta Hawks over at Locked on Hawks. Let's keep rolling through the mailbag and through the questions. Grant Burnett at 8 points, 9 seconds. Not the... Blog eight points nine seconds, but the Twitter account. He says, "Where are the Pacers rank on the list of most fun teams to watch in the NBA this season?" Depends what you like uh, when you're watching teams. If you like a team that's going to lose 125 to 130, boy, do I have a team for you to watch <laughs> in Indiana. Um, if you like, you know, you know, some the star power aspect that what people like about basketball will not be there, right? And, and that's certainly a factor in the funnest rankings. But in general, the style of run-down-your-throat transition teams, is fun, even if the team is bad. My example would be the Charlotte Hornets, who, look, they're much better. They have an all-star already. They have other talented players around the mellow ball, but they've been trying to show off his talents in the open floor and his ability to shoot it. Sounds familiar. you know? And, and that team hasn't amounted to any winning yet, but they're super fun to watch. When I have friends or people around he ask me, you know, what game should I go to? if they're price conscious, I always tell them Charlotte because for the money, most fun team to watch in the league. And I would still recommend that this year. But the Pacers could sort of fit that mold where someone in another market says, hey, they're really fun, even though they're kind of crummy. I will really enjoy watching new teams early in the season as well. You know, like the Hawks, like I mentioned earlier with DeJounte, the Cavs, with Donovan Mitchell, the the Timberwolves are going to be a blast to watch this year. So, you know, the usual cast of fun teams will be fun again. Golden State, Brooklyn, Milwaukee, they're going to be a blast. Luka's always a blast. And then I think a lot of those, you know, if you're not a fan of any team necessarily, those run and guns, Charlotte, Indiana teams are really fun. And the Grizzlies are a hoot to watch. I mean, John Morant's just awesome. Uh, So the Pacers maybe in the top 15, depending on what your aesthetic is. But they'll lose games in a fun way, if that makes any sense. You know, the way that people like basketball and offense and points. Yay, will happen a lot for the Pacers. Alex Golden, host of Setting the Pace, Killing It Over There, and his new blog, The Blue and Golden. First interview is with Troy Pepper, the Pacers PA announcer. Uh, check that out. Uh, at Alex Golden NBA says, It feels like O'Shea isn't valued as high by the team as he is media slash fans. Do you believe O'Shea? Is in the long-term plans for the team's rebuild? Yeah, that's totally, I think, a true statement that a lot of people who cover this team or watch this team a lot or talk about them um, are higher on O'Shea than the Pacers have seemed to be in recent seasons. And I have a few people who think I talk too highly about O'Shea Brissett. so maybe it's not everybody, but it certainly feels like the chorus opinion on O'Shea Brissett is talented, under 24 years old. Can kind of shoot it is athletic you know he's got the skills that it seems like the pacers say they want right a shooter even if he's only an, an league average shooter you know he can shoot it well enough and he's super athletic and he can defend a little bit like that seems like all the stuff the pacers have suggested that they want in players and yet like i mentioned in the first segment wasn't playing to start last season and yet on the third team of day one of camp and and maybe that will be remedied again he was in a blue jersey today but who, know, you know, who knows how the franchise feels about him, but all we can know is their actions, right? They turned down, or they, well, they picked up, I guess. They picked up the team option and turned down the opportunity to give him a longer deal as a restricted free agent. And maybe that is just a flexibility thing, right? Next year, him and Terry Taylor and Kendall Brown uh, and Goga Batadze and Miles Turner, right? All these guys are on expiring contracts. Maybe they just want some fluidity in the front court. That's fine and possibly the answer, but it could also be that they just don't, really know if they want him around long term or they think yeah Terry Taylor is better we'd rather do that you know I don't I need to ask like I mentioned what they really think there but I totally think it's possible that the team does not value him or view him in in as high of a light as some online do which happens in the opposite direction in that direction a lot with several teams Um, but do I believe O'Shea's long term plans (laughs) plans Uh, I mean it's hard to say yes after the decision they made this summer when they could have easily given him a longer deal that would not have been largely expensive you know a lot of people replied to Alex's tweet actually uh, talking about like you know not really it uh, doesn't feel that way. So, I mean, he's got it. Like I mentioned on the season preview podcast from yesterday, it seems like he's got a chance to sort of prove that he should be long-term in the rebuild, but he's unrestricted free agent this coming summer. Sure, the Pacers have bird rights and full bird rights and can give him any deal he wants, but if he wants to go somewhere else where he can actually play on opening night or something like that, and I, I, I might be too dialed in on practice number one's rotation. Even I admit that I'm probably looking way too much into that, but it's certainly possible that the long-term plans are – For someone else to be that for, Or maybe it's Jalen Smith and Terry Taylor in that spot. But they have a lot of fluidity in the front court, so I wouldn't rule it out. You know, he played the most games for the team last year and fits a lot of the MO that they like. But certainly the actions will matter more. If we get 10 games into the season and he's clearly the 11th guy, I think you could say, no. He's not necessarily in the long-term plans. If they get 10 games in and they realize he should be playing more, then yeah, you could maybe say so. The actions will always, always, always matter. More than the words. And that's why I put some stock into what happens in practice. That is in action. Uh, Corey Clark at Corey Clark Radio says, with the young team, do you like the idea of throwing the young guys into the fire by moving heel to the second unit, and having Halliburton, Mather, and Duarte in the starting five right away? Or is it practical to let one of Mather and Duarte ease into it the second unit and healed starting? Uh so my opinion on this has been mostly throughout the summer. I think the goal of the Pacers this season should be. As many reps and minutes of that trio that you mentioned there, Corey, um, Halliburton, Duarte, and Matherin as possible, right? That is, in theory, your backcourt of the future. Maybe they deal one of them at some point, but those three guys, as it looks and projects, you know, 3 x ex-lottery picks, uh, former all-rookie team member Chris Duarte that they drafted, uh, I believe uh, that Tyrese Halliburton was an all-rookie team guy in 2021. Yes, he was, right? Like, th- that could be a thing. But I also understand the value of Buddy Heald playing and providing spacing and making it easier for other young players to play four and four, have more room to practice pick and roll and things like that, even if he does make it a little harder on the defense. So I understand both. It looks like Buddy right now has been with the starting unit, but I still think you can get that that trio, the value of playing together as often as possible. That said, I think this is more so the case with Matherin than Halliburton or Duarte, given skill sets. But if you're going to stick a guy with the second unit, in this situation, the thought sort of is, or the balance sort of is, you know, this was the case with Duarte last year. Remember, you know, it was: do we start Duarte as the Pacers and say, okay, if you start, you don't get as many touches or chances to create, but you're playing with the best five. You know, you learn how to play in those lineups, but you don't get to grow as a creator with the ball or have as many touches. Versus, if you're Chris Duarte and you come off the bench behind Justin Holiday, yeah, you don't start, but you get the ball more you get to do more things with the second unit and put pressure on the rim and and do more things and, and grow skills that way I think Matherin in particular and to an extent Duarte as well similar to last year fit that build better where yeah sure Matherin starting makes sense seeing how he fits with those guys again to me should be priority numero uno but it also makes a lot of sense to say hey you're with the second unit. When McConnell doesn't have the ball, you're creating, you're trying to make plays and show what you can do. And, and if you can start destroying these second units, we'll think about what your role should be. So I think there's value in both, which is why I don't think, unless the Pacers are completely looking miserable with certain lineups, it'll be worth having be a big topic mid-season. You know, should they change it every night will not be a necessary question. But I do think that for me, the goal should be as many minutes with the young trio as possible. Zachary Barnett at Z Barnett MBA says, Who do you think will be the next assistant coach from the Pacers to get a head coaching gig? Interesting question. Pacers have a pretty talented staff right now. Uh, obviously, Carlisle has been a head coach for forever. So the the when I read this question earlier, I read I very rarely do this, but I actually thought about Zach's before the show. I instantly gravitated to Lloyd Pierce for a million reasons and the big one being, hey, this guy coached the Hawks. He was literally already an NBA head coach. Rick Carlisle said last year at Media Day, like, we're happy to have this guy because we don't think we'll have him for very long. We think he'll be hired somewhere else at some point, right? And so Rick Carlisle is the head of the Coaches Association. I think he knows how this goes. You know, I think that it is possible that the answer is Lloyd Pierce. Let me throw a wrench in your question, Zach. I don't, you didn't put NBA coach. <laughs> and if you'll recall, there was a tiny bit of buzz before Butler hired Thad Mata that Ronald Norad would be in the mix for that job. And I think Ronald Norad would be a good coach at any level. He did well in the G League. He did well at the high school level. Perhaps at the collegiate level, too, if, he, if he's willing to take those sort of jobs and is in the mix for those, he would be a good fit to do that. You know, and so... I think i don't know if mike weiner is interested in being a head coach of another team i believe he was their summer league head coach last year um he definitely was because i wore my big giant uh, headset during the zooms uh, when they played in vegas and he would laugh at how large it was Uh, but norad was this year you know they're developing a nice staff of young coaches so i think between the, the entire assistant coaching staff would be Lloyd Pierce or Ron Norad, one of those two guys who both have prior head coaching experience and are just smart dudes who are well-respected by a lot of the Pacers staff. Three more today, although one of them is A.J. Reese, who, if you've listened to a lot of these mailbags, is notorious for his several part questions to dive into on this mailbag. Let's keep it going. Before we do, though, let me talk to you guys about Acre Pro. When it comes to land sales, it pays to have experts in your corner, and AcrePro Midwest Farm Group are your local farmland specialists. With decades of experience in Indiana agriculture, no one knows the market better. Whether you're doing a 1031 exchange, expanding your operation, or selling a row crop farm, your local AcrePro agent will walk the land with you and ensure the deal is done right. Great service, just the beginning. AcrePro provides unparalleled land data including soil ratings, elevation, flood zones, and land valuation across parcels so you can get the full picture up front and be confident in the entire land market. Your agent will cater to each of your individual needs and help you navigate the complexities of buying and selling land so the process is made simple. Experience the ease of AcrePro by working with farmland specialists like Kyle Rule, Brady Hammond, Neil Hurt, and Kyle Spray. Visit AcrePro.com or call 765-587-3185 and talk to your local land expert today. Again, that is AcrePro.com and 765-587-3185. Thank you, as always, for making Lockdown On your first listen today and every single day. That is always much appreciated. Hey, guys, it's Friday if you're listening to this. I'm putting this out on Friday at least. Preseason basketball starts today, September 30th. Warriors-Wizards in Japan. They also play Sunday. They play super early in the morning because it's in Japan. But why not check out both of those shows? Locked On Warriors, Lockdown Wizards. To hear what's going on around those teams as they continue, at, or excuse me, as they begin... The NBA preseason in September. I can't believe that the NBA is starting so soon on this Friday. Let's continue on with these questions. We got three more tweets to get to. AJ Reese at the AJ Reese kicks us off today with a three-parter. Question one: Have the Pacers revealed any new jerseys for the season? Slash, do you have any ideas for a new jersey? They have not revealed anything. Sometimes these get put out in a store before they're supposed to. Sometimes 2K has them early. Uh, sometimes there's like little hints of marketing that that has like more of a certain color (laughs) than has been the case before like the rose logo for example i think was seen a couple places before those jerseys came out three years ago two years ago i can't remember either way sometimes there's since i haven't seen anything and i am usually very peculiar about keeping an eye on this i will say a lot of yellow in the pacers twitter account perhaps we're getting another yellow alternate this year uh we will see do I have any ideas for a new jersey? I am so jersey boring. I think that it should be always white versus one color. <laughs> you know, none of this craziness. Like, uh, everybody loves the Miami Vice jerseys. I hate them. I hate them. They're so gaudy. And they're not even the heat colors, which is weird to me. But my idea for a Pacers jersey would be one that says Indianapolis on it instead of Indiana. I don't know why. I just think tying it to a city and people that live there and around and where you play is cool. I don't know what colors necessarily people like and don't like. I personally think their blue jerseys or white jerseys look the best, but whatever color would be cool. I just think something that says Indianapolis on it would be pretty cool. Paying homage even to those Indianapolis Olympian days before they even technically were the Pacers. But I'm you know, i not creative enough to get into that. My favorite jerseys are like the Bulls and Celtics. Super boring. They just say like Chicago in black letters and it's one color because they look nice and it's not confusing what team is which. And it looks good. That should be what every team does to me. Question two from AJ is, do you think Matherin's confidence slash desire to win could be a bad thing? Ooh, ooh, interesting. Um, no. <laughs> uh, man, I mean, if it makes him play, you know, out of himself like he tries to do too much, that yeah, I guess that can be a bad thing. I answered that too hastily. Um, and I think, you know, every, that LeBron quote, everybody always talks about with him where he was, you know, Oh, uh, Let's see how good he really is. I can't wait to go against him. He sort of has acknowledged, like, yeah, I'm confident against anyone, but, like, i got to be careful how I talk. <laughs> how I, Like, I think he understands the limits of what level of confidence he can have, which is why I said no, because <laughs> I heard him talk about that on media day. But, I mean, confidence is good, I think, for rookies. And being, in his case, on a developmental team, a guy that is willing to go at anybody and, and show what they can do is good to a point. You know, you can't push it too far. Like, Uh, Chris Duarte turned out to have a fantastic rookie year, and some of these concerns I had early in the season didn't matter. But I remember he was taking like 14, 15 shots a game early in the season when the Pacers were trying to win with a veteran team and a new coach. And I kept thinking, man, you know, is there going to be a point where a vet sits him down and says, dude, you got to cool it. You Like, yeah, he shot – 15 shots in their first game, 16, 21, 16, 15, 19 in their first six games last year. And the Pacers at the end of that were one and five, right? And so I had a little click point in my head where I thought, hmm, maybe they'd try to tone that back a little bit. You know, sometimes confidence can go too far if you're if you're hurting the team. But that was on a Pacers team that was trying to win in Duarte's case. This year's team is not. So yeah, it can go too far. But I think in general it'll be a good thing for him, especially on this sort of team. Three from AJ is what are your goals in sports reported? Do you eventually want to travel to every game? Yes, would love to travel to every game. Uh, I don't think that we'll be able to do Zoom media availability this year. So. Uh, I, I don't know that confirmed yet, so I don't know. But, you know, it's going to be harder to cover the team without being able to ask questions after some of those games. Not You know, I, I totally get that, that that is the right choice from the Pacers. You know, they want to encourage the on-site reporters to be there and things like that. But, you know, it, it'll make it a little harder for me. And, yes, I would love to travel to every game. I would love to do this full-time. And, actually, we'll have some news on that on Monday's podcast, which will be very exciting. Either way, uh, yes, my goal is to do this full-time. I love supplying information and context and making things accessible to fans. I think that can be tricky at times, and uh, I would love to do that as my job, especially for this Pacers franchise and a fan base that is dying to know more about the team. Aaron M. at Hugh Pacers, H-O-U Pacers, says, do you think we will see another rebrand in parentheses? And by the way, Aaron, this made me laugh when you tweeted it. It said, that's not (laughs) corn-related. I thought that was too funny, too funny. Uh, Within the next year, considering the Pacers are entering a new era. So a lot of teams have done something like this where, like, when their star retires, like when Dirk went away from the Mavs, they slightly tweaked some logos and, like, hey, we're clearly doing something new. You know, that stuff can happen. Uh, and I think that it makes some sense for the Pacers, but I don't think their last era was strong enough to kind of think that way. You know, they sort of, when they traded Paul George, that's a kind of an example, they they sort of rebranded their whole jersey scheme, but that kind of coincided with Nike taking over the jersey. So that's a little different. Either way, you know, some teams do do that when they go from one star or one successful group. I bet the Warriors, when Steph is done, will have a new logo and jersey set you know this is a new warriors team uh sorry for babbling but aaron to answer your question i don't think so mostly because the last pacers era wasn't successful enough to feel like you have to do something (laughs) new from a branding perspective you know if they had made a conference finals or two under depot yeah maybe but you know i get that they're entering a new era and they they they're a new look team certainly but i don't think they need to be new look branding, but maybe adding in new, like the Pistons just changed their secondary logo and colors. Like that could make sense to me for the Pacers to do something like that. So they can mix in maybe a new different color jersey or some sort of new branding into the team without changing up their whole scheme, which I think is a cool way for teams to reignite fans, give them something cool to see for the team without totally changing everything. I think that's a good way to do it. Detroit just did that and I think perfect timing with the Cade-Ivy era underway. Last question of the day. Snuck it in right before I deleted the tweet asking for questions. Award Tour at Andrew Ward says, "What are the most likely ways the Pacers reach the salary floor?" He actually has a second question, but I'll do that one first. Uh <laughs> great question. If you listen to Wednesday's podcast, I talked about it a little bit. You know, some teams still are going to have to cut guys or trade guys away to get down to the roster limit before training camp ends. I think the Pacers could be a beneficiary there with someone like Kemba Walker, Rudy Gay, all the guys that were traded to the Mavs for Christian Wood. They're guaranteed contracts over the, you know, over 15 are on the, the, the jazz uh, and the Rockets and the Pistons. You know, they're going to pro- presumably want to trade those guys. The Thunder have too many contracts, although they don't really need to clear up money either way there are teams that could eventually make trades in that way. That's one way. A renegotiation and extension with Miles Turner is another way to boost their salary that doesn't require a signing or a trade. Speaking of signings, they could very easily cut James Johnson and Langston Galloway if someone they love becomes a free agent and literally sign someone, (laughs) spend money on a player. That's another way, but I think the the best way is trades right take in money in a trade get an asset with some team that's trying to duck the tax or get make, get some flexibility for a different deal right help facilitate a three-team trade taking in money and getting an asset to do it is the best way to do it to me unless the asset you, is a guy you're signing that you love and you think fits your team and culture perfectly the best way to get to the floor to me is to get an asset along the way and doing it and they have till the trade deadline there is no rush but if you get like the hawks for example the, the minute they could do the Mo Harkles for Vit Kretchke trade, they did it. They ducked the tax ASAP. And maybe they really wanted Vit, uh, but you know, you don't have to duck the tax in September. <laughs> so, uh, you know, you, there is no urgency unless you have a mandate from ownership. And I don't think the Pacers do just yet. So there are a lot of ways to do it. I think a trade is what's going to be the answer, but the timing on that will depend on what happens because remember if they get over the salary floor or they take in a 15th guaranteed contract or something like that you have to remember this is something similar with a miles turner trade opportunity cost you can't do something else now so you have to make sure you're using those roster spots and those finances in a way that makes sense question two uh, it's way too early for this i'm glad i waited this long to do this he said who will be the top free agent targets this offseason? Sigh, uh, Sigh, sigh. I there's a the next year's free agency class is pretty good. Lots of teams will be scrambling for these guys. Chris Middleton will be out there. Kyrie, James Harden, Porzingis, Kevin Love, Wiggins, D'Angelo Russell, Vucevic, Harrison Barnes, Jimmy Grant, Miles Turner, Bojan, Karis LeVert. You know, it's like a much better crew than last year. It's a group of guys that actually can be impact guys you know change your fortunes a little bit kind of stuff now most of the guys i just said are too old for the pacers to care about considering right for the pacers specifically it's a little trickier because they would probably want someone younger who can grow with their core you know anthony edwards <laughs> will eventually be a free agent but they can't get him right like from a reasonable perspective you know maybe like Taylor horton tucker for example uh is a guy they could look at if he shows something for the jazz this year uh deandre hunter with atlanta maybe but he'll be a restricted guy you know their targets will be fascinating how they can get a young enough guy who's also an unrestricted free agent and can grow with their team it's so early to project that you know you just never know who's going to pop and be in the right And then the last question for today how will success be defined as the team might not be focused on w's given last year plenty of close losses that doesn't feel like the right benchmark agreed winning and losing does not feel like the right benchmark Pacers, coaches, and players also agree that that's the case. They talked about that on media day. To them, a successful season, and, and kind of the benchmark is growth, right? That Rick Carlisle describes the eye test. Can you see the player is better from day to day, from month to month, from week to week, whatever timeline you want to use? Can you see he's better? That will be their rubric for successes on April 11th or whenever the last day is. Do they look back and go, wow, you know, look how much better Benedict Matherin is than he was in September, or look how much better – Chris Duarte or whoever, I think that is a more apt way to do this, to to, to describe the season and talk about success. And the other factor is TJ McConnell said this, if they play hard every game, and I hate that phrase in general, right? That is such a media day thing. We're going to play hard. Yeah. Okay. Every fan wants to hear that. But I will add this context like I did on my media day breakdown show. The Pacers had a problem of not last year at times where Carlisle will talk about it. They didn't have their spirit on certain games. They weren't playing hard enough. they give up 160 points to the hornets they didn't play hard they didn't play hard that game like it was obvious they had that game where they gave up 70 something first half points to the hawks they watched the whole first half in the locker room after the game they didn't play hard right that was a problem for this team in a way that it shouldn't be it should never be a problem Nate mcmillan was a fantastic coach at that the pacers were going to show up every game they were going to be prepared and they were going to play hard and i know fans didn't like Nate mcmillan but that is what paying customers want to see their team that they're coming to watch is going to play hard and try their asses off every game. And I think that even if the Pacers stink this year, which they should, there will be some appreciation if that actually is something the team follows through on, if they play hard all 82 games. And I think with more competition, that is possible, but we will see. You know, it shouldn't have to be something that is said. It should just be something that is done. And we will see if it is something the Pacers do this year with a new, younger team. Thanks for all the questions, guys. Much appreciated. We're in October. We are in October next Monday. uh, Assuming, again, no big news from the Pacers in the next couple days. I will be out of town. But uh, we will do Tyrese Halliburton's Player Season Preview, the final one of the Player Season Preview series as of now. And then Tuesday's the 4th and Wednesday. Pre-season Pacers Knicks. We'll be talking pre-season previews, Pacers Knicks preview, what we learned in preseason game one. Oh yeah, it's games time. We're talking about the games, what they mean, what we've learned. Next week's gonna rock. It's gonna be super awesome. So thank you guys a ton for listening and the questions today. You'll all be tagged on Twitter and much appreciated for asking me questions. Hope everybody's a great weekend and we will see you on Monday.